spoiler alert, but read the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about prenuptial agreements at all. And I'm not even saying that they existed in biblical times, but you're not going to get that kind of a clear-cut message. Early on, there were different protections um, should divorce happen. I mean, you look in Scripture. Um, in the it, Bible, absolutely. And throughout, and the if you look at the culture, so there were prenuptial, postnuptial type agreements. Ooh, um, do you tell, biblical scholar. Well, there's just things like, again, if someone married a woman and... You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Hartman. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Harvey. We're happy to have you guys here. We are. And thank you so much for listening. I want to let you know that pretty soon we will have our two-year anniversary of the podcast. And we are doing something that the people who attend the Operation Thriving Marriage live experience love, and that's the Q&A. So we would love to get questions from you that you'd like us to answer. And we're going to do a question and answer session of the podcast. So if you could send us your questions to operationthrivingmarriage.com, you can leave us a voicemail on the website, or you can go to the comments page, or you can contact me at brian.d.harvey at gmail.com. Remember, my name's spelled B-R-Y-O-N. Look forward to hearing your questions and answering some of them on the podcast. And with that, Let's go ahead and get started with this topic. This is an interesting one, I think, sweetheart. This is something that you've wanted to talk about for a while because of your career in the law. And it's something that I think gets a little bit sensitive and a lot of Christians get a little excited about this idea of prenuptial agreements. Well, sure. Prenuptial agreements or postnuptial agreements, uh, Prenuptial agreements are also called antenuptial agreements. And then the idea is you're entering into an agreement with your fiance about property that would be remaining separate and not be part of division in the event that you and that to be spouse would get divorced one day. Same kind of thing with a postnuptial uh, agreement, only you'd be entering into that agreement after you ended up uh, getting married. So it's and uh, that is your legal nerd moment of the podcast. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But, you know, just like to fill people in because I am asked routinely, you know, what what do you think about prenuptial agreements? You know, you're you're a lawyer, you know, the protections that they provide, um, but you're also a Christian. So what what do you think about these prenuptial agreements on that side of things? And is that divergent? Is that incongruous? How does that work out? Well, and you've had some things from clients and from different blogs you've read and stuff just in talking about, you know, how ministry and the law works and stuff. You've heard some really interesting concepts from people that are really opposed to some of the way legal documents are presented. Right, or some legal jargon, because I I remember I had gotten a call up from a client and she was in her 50s or 60s. She was going to be getting married and she had built up some wealth that she had. Her fiance, who she was engaged to, wasn't bringing a lot into the marriage. And some of that had to do with the fact that he had had a very messy divorce where he lost a whole, whole lot. And she had told me that her pastor had made a blanket statement on a Sunday, just kind of an offhanded remark saying, 
never, ever get a prenuptial agreement in place. And she absolutely took this to heart as in this was a biblical truth that no Christian is ever, ever to get a prenuptial agreement. And of course, her should she have taken that advice would have really limited her legal protections in her very complicated and specific situation there. And, you know, I, I suppose spoiler alert, but read the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about prenuptial agreements at all. And I'm not even saying that they existed in biblical times, but you're not going to get that kind of a clear cut message as was expressed to her and the whole congregation as an offhanded comment from the pulpit. Well, but early on, there were different protections um, should divorce happen. I mean, you look in scripture. Um, in the it, Bible, absolutely. And throughout, and the if you look at the culture, so there were prenuptial, postnuptial type agreements. Ooh, um, do you tell biblical scholar? Well, there's just things like, again, if someone married a woman and she was displeasing to him in some way, and usually there's a lot of things, there were protections for that woman to go back to her family and then also the the dowry or the, the whatever sure. money went into that. There was financial considerations. Um, throughout history, there have always been things. And even if you look at first century Roman times, there were times when a woman would be marrying a man, but she came from a wealthy family or different things where she had wealth that was hers that needed to be protected. And they may not have had the contract that we would look at as a prenuptial agreement today, but there were specific societal norms protecting the wealth of women to maintain that in the bloodline. Or you even look at the end of Joshua where there were sisters who had no brothers and mm -hmm. they wanted, they basically had a prenuptial agreement say, Hey, these women are going to marry men outside of their clan but they're going to retain the rights to the land sure. um, that would have gone to their brothers. So it stays within the clan. So even then they had things like that. It was for estate planning purposes, basically was the idea that, but one of the things that coming from a ministry background that I think of when we think of prenuptial agreements, and this is something I, I really love to hear your opinion and share with our, with our um, listeners on is a lot of people feel like writing a prenuptial agreement or preparing a prenuptial agreement is planning for your divorce and you shouldn't plan to get divorced. And we think of this, especially like with celebrities, right? People who have, I mean, our daughter is a huge Taylor Swift fan. So we think if Taylor Swift ever gets married, she's going to have a prenuptial agreement because of concern of being taken advantage of and someone taking her wealth that she's earned on her own. So a lot of people feel like that's you're planning on getting a divorce and planning on someone's going to try to take your stuff. And so that's why you're doing the prenuptial agreement. So what are some of your thoughts about that? And I've heard that argument so many times over in the church and in practicality, and this varies state to state, of course, but if you have a prenuptial agreement in place, if you've got one spouse who's significantly wealthy, more often than not to avoid litigation and things, you're going to be settling and the wealthier spouse would be giving more money to the other spouse anyway, just again, in practicality of that. But when it comes to prenuptial agreements, it's not always intended to be in the event of divorce. So 
I think if somebody's going to come to me and say, should I get a prenuptial agreement, that has to do with their specific situation. Or as I often say, what's the answer to every legal question? It depends. So it depends. So when would be a situation then where you would say to someone, no, you shouldn't get a prenuptial agreement? Well, I, I think a lot of times if you're entering the marriage early on in life and you both don't have a whole lot, why on earth would you need a prenuptial? Because it's like, okay, if we get married and then we end up getting divorced down the road, it's it's like, how am I protecting the nothing that I'm coming in with and the nothing that the other person's coming in with? That just doesn't make a lot of sense. But a lot of it, like you were talking about, the Bible does not specifically say prenuptial agreement or, or talk about any of that specifically, but there were protections in biblical times that had to do more with estate planning. And that's something that I see all the time, where in particular, if you're dealing with blended families, if you're dealing with people who are getting married for a second time, maybe they've been widowed, maybe they've been divorced, a lot of times you've built that kind of wealth with that first spouse separately, and you want to make sure that should you pass away, you want to make sure that this second spouse is going to be cared for, but you also want to make sure that you'd be leaving some funds to adult children or minor children, depending on how old your kids would be from your first marriage or how old the children would be from your spouse's first marriage. So you just need to be really smart and consider that because more often than not, when I'm talking to spouses, they'll look at this and say, if we already have adult kids here they're good to go. They're on their own. My obligation is now to take care of my current spouse. But that prenuptial agreement, should one of those spouses die, it's outlined in writing who gets what. So if adult kids are upset about things, it's already outlined what's going to happen. So it stops there from being some big uproar. And what did mom want? What did dad want? Or I've even seen some of this stuff where the spouse, surviving spouse would be inheriting everything. And the kids of the spouse that died are knocking on the door saying, well, I don't get any money until this second wife or second husband dies and they're upset about it. But if you outline it, even if people are upset, at least your your intentions are preserved. Well, and I think something that's important to keep in mind with that too is second marriage doesn't have to be after divorce. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes true. it's like someone is a widow or widower and mm -hmm. they've remarried after a spouse has passed. And so a lot of times divorce becomes a hot button issue in this. And we've talked about this before and divorce is not something that God wants divorce, but it does happen. Um, but however, there are situations that people are getting remarried and it has nothing to do with divorce or sin. It just has to do with natural life things. But one of the things that I think is relevant to going back to kind of the Taylor Swift example or something who, by the way, is scheduled to be a billionaire by the end of 2023. Yeah. So another instance that I wonder about, trying to take it back to a first marriage. Sure. What about someone who has interest in a family business, but they want that interest to stay with the family line? So let's say that my dad owned, you know, a logging business. I don't know. My dad was wasn't a logger. But, and we wanted, and I had a brother or I had, and we wanted 
the business to stay in that way. Would a prenuptial agreement make sense in something like that for like not so much assets of like home and bank accounts, but more there's a family business that we're trying to make sure the government knows how we want the business transferred? Well, no doubt about it, because that's something, too, where you wouldn't want it to be that there was a death or a divorce or something happened, and now there's got to be a payout from that business. And more often than not, when you're dealing with small to medium-sized business, that payout would cause that business to collapse and then that family business to be lost. So just the idea of outlining how things would go in the event of death or heaven forbid it in a in an event of divorce, you're just laying it out, everybody's agreeing, and you're you're making sure that that family business is going to be protected um, so that that family business wouldn't have to close down and potentially have families' lives and livelihoods shattered. So what, what I'm hearing, and I don't want to give legal advice without a license, so I'm going to make sure that you give all the legal advice and I just have call, a pretty call face a behind Call a qualified <laughs> attorney in your state, my friends, wherever um, you are. It sounds, though, that this trope about prenuptial agreements needs to be thought through more clearly because certainly you don't want to plan for divorce. Absolutely not. But I will say equally, pastors, please be thoughtful, even in your offhanded comments that you're making from the pulpit or in the lobby or in some of the the, um, counseling that you're doing, because you don't want to paint a broad brush in areas that you're not understanding. And listen, I'm going to be the first one to say I would not give myself a root canal. I would not install an egress window in my own home. I would not rewire the electricity and the wiring in my home. I would hire qualified professionals to do that, dentists, contractors, electricians. So just when you're kind of talking about the law make sure you're referring that person to somebody who's qualified, because I think there's another area that prenuptial agreements can make a lot of sense. And there is a client of mine who is going to be getting married for the first time. Um, She's about 40 years old, as is her fiance. Her fiance, due to some of his past history, has not earned a lot or saved a lot of funds. And he's on a really great track now and she's very financially minded. So she's been able to get him on that. But also her mother died within the last few years and she inherited a substantial sum of investments and funds. She also has an adult special needs brother. So again, heaven forbid she dies, she gets divorced mom's money should really go to take care of special need adult brother over there, um, as opposed to potentially being transferred over to a husband. And in many states, including Michigan, inherited money remains the property of the person who inherited it. But of course, there's going to be some caveats around that too. So just making sure that funds are going to be used in that kind of honoring way. Also, if someone, say, receives a settlement because of an injury that they received and the funds that they're getting are intended to care for them for the rest of their lives because maybe they're unable to work or they're unable to work a a more expansive schedule, if that individual gets married, then gets divorced, 
those funds that were used as part of the settlement should be used to take care of them, not go to a divorcing spouse. Just, I think, from a public policy setup, because yes, marriage should be permanent and be forever, but there are so many considerations that are just not going to apply to every single situation here. And we want to make sure that we're being smart. And as clergy uh, people advising those individuals to get legal counsel, and sometimes the legal counsel can talk through kind of pros and cons and different things, and then taking that information back to the clergy to be able to speak into that specific situation can just be so helpful as opposed to just putting a general blanket statement out there. So yeah, that's interesting. And what I just heard you say is that for the majority of cases, prenuptial agreement doesn't make sense. For majority, I mean, even, you know, wealth disparity and stuff like that, for a majority of cases, it, it really doesn't make sense because marriage is intended and should be, and you should be walking into this with the intent of this is my spouse until one of us dies. But there are special situations where we just have to acknowledge that no one that we've ever met walking down the aisle was planning their divorce. I think that's true. But there are, it happens and mm-hmm. it's not what God wants, but in situations like, okay, a person needs to be able to, like the injured person or the disabled person who has money coming to them, they need to be able to care for themselves because if something horrible has happened and this person ends up divorced and it's bad and then they're no longer able to care for themselves because their money has been taken. Or situations like um, inherited money that should be going to care for a, a disabled or special needs um, someone, family member or things like, again, businesses. There are just certain very specific things that a prenuptial agreement makes sense. And we just have to also be aware of divorce isn't the plan. Divorce isn't what we want. But in very specific situations, we just need to make sure that the right things are going to happen. And I think, too, that it's it's making sure you're being honoring and loving towards each other. This is not a manipulation thing of, you know, if you enter, if you're entering into a prenuptial agreement, your marriage is doomed to failure or you if you really loved me and wanted to be married to me, you wouldn't be trying to push this prenuptial agreement on me. A lot of times that's not the case. And also sometimes in these situations, they can be resolved with a well-crafted estate plan or some sort of a, a contract that a prenuptial agreement, if people don't like those words, uh, are are put out there. But it, it's again about honoring people and just making sure people are, are going to be protected and okay in the event of death or heaven forbid a divorce. So what advice then would you give, obviously, different states and everything, but what advice in general would you give to Christian attorneys who are practicing family law or any sort of law where they'd be doing the potentially prenuptial agreements? What are What's just some advice you would give to a Christian attorney to make sure they're both honoring God and protecting their client? And I want to put a caveat in just from my perspective being in the military, I, by by the Constitution, separation of church and state, I've got to be very careful about what I say to someone who's not a Christian. You know, I can't, there's that. So I do think with the law, it starts with representing your client. If your client's not a Christian, Christian ethics 
are not what they subscribe to, and they have a legal right to representation under the laws of the United States. And even if you don't think that that's the best way to handle it, they they don't accept Christ. They don't accept Christ ethics. You can't force them into that just because they've hired you as their attorney. So, no, nor should you, in my opinion. Yeah. So there's that one thing. But for attorneys that are Christian attorneys that are representing Christians, what advice would you give? Well, what I always tell people who come to me and are are talking about, I'm going to be getting married, I'm looking at getting a prenup, I always say, if you are intending to get a prenup because you think that divorce could ever be a possibility, you shouldn't get a prenup and you also should not get married, period, the end. I think that's huge. I think that's probably the most important thing. like, hey, if you're thinking this marriage isn't going to last, either go get some couples counseling saying, hey, or probably more like... If you don't think the marriage is going to last, you probably shouldn't start it. That's exactly it. Or push the pause button, like you said, go talk to your pastor, you know, go get a Christian counselor in place and find out, is this, does this kind of a marriage between the, these two potential spouses, does that make sense? Or does more work have to happen before the marriage would take place? Or do, does this couple just need to part on as good a terms as possible under those circumstances? But then from there, certainly the the attorney's requirement, duty, responsibility is to say, what do the laws that are applicable to that situation? And my my sense, it would be, what do the laws of the state of Michigan say and outline what those things are? And also to be able to speak in those Judeo-Christian ethics and talk through, here's what the Bible would say in these different kinds of circumstances. So sometimes, you know, I, I had this wonderful couple where they had been uh, married and divorced to other people. They came together, got married, had no prenuptial agreement, but they made it very clear in their estate planning if they passed away, what funds would be going to the surviving children and what funds would be going to the surviving spouse, just so there's no question in that kind of protection. But in these unique circumstances where sometimes we're dealing with family businesses, where sometimes we're dealing um, with family members, extended family whose uh, special needs, and again, more of these specific kinds of things, no shame in relying on the protections of the state, as Paul relied on the protections of being a Roman citizen, just to make sure that the things are taken care of um, so that we're being honoring of the spouse, but other family members too. Yeah. So a marriage, it's meant to be a lifelong commitment, a life-giving partnership. It shouldn't be entered into lightly or taken lightly at any time. Marriage is important. Now, if you're not a lawyer, don't make broad brush statements about legal issues that you just don't know about, that you're not informed about. Sometimes you don't have the information and that lack of knowledge about the law can really hurt people that you're advising. The best thing to do is to make connections with knowledgeable lawyers who can advise on the legal aspect and wise Christian pastors and friends who can weigh in based on the specific situation Having that combination of someone who is skilled and experienced in spiritual counseling and someone who is skilled and experienced in legal counseling is going to give every individual the best advice they need to walk into a marriage with their eyes wide open, making sure that they have everything in place to build that lifelong healthy, thriving marriage that God intends for them. I suppose teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to the Operation Thriving Marriage podcast. Please like it and subscribe so that more people know about us. Thank you for joining us.
Jen and I started Operation Thriving Marriage to help couples and churches take marriages from merely surviving to thriving. We've got our book, we've got a blog and resources for our coaching ministry, and you can bring us out for an Operation Thriving Marriage experience. For more information, go to OperationThrivingMarriage.com. That's OperationThrivingMarriage.com.